0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Ladies Promoting Transparent Advocacy Podcast. I am your podcast host, Shea Pate. Today is Fantastic Fellows Friday, and I try to sometimes do double people on Wednesdays and Fridays, but it always depends on the person. And since this is Black History Month, and the person that I am going to celebrate today is is making black history. I decided to just do this person. This person, according to my research, was in the military. He served from 1975 to 2016. He was in the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's been given the Combat Action Badge. Expert infantryman badge. And he is an alumni of Auburn University as well as the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York. The person I am talking about is General Lloyd J. Austin III. Actually, that's what he was. He is now the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd J. Austin III. He served 41 years in uniform, retiring as a four-star Army general after three years as commander of the United States Central Command, previously served as the 12th commander of United States Central Command from 2013 to 2016, and he retired United States Army four-star general and now, he is the 28th Secretary of Defense, and he was sworn in January 22nd, 2021. He is the first, that's why it's Black History Month Celebration, he is the first African American to serve as the United States Defense Secretary. Now, I want to play, before he was confirmed in, In the role he's in now as the Secretary of Defense I want to play his opening statement That he had to give to uh, legislature to be confirmed So you can understand what he intends to do in his role But before I play that I want you guys to listen to his 2010 speech As he was giving it Given the commander role in Iraq And the reason why I want the listeners to hear this Is because, you know, a lot of people Have different levels of respect for military Some don't believe in war So of course don't have respect Some are are very uh, loyal to the military I respect the military Because as we know, they keep us safe at home And they fight for our country So I respect them So I want to play his 2010 speech. I was trying to find speeches he did that weren't real current. So you can see the character of this man. And I want to play the 2010 speech he gave to his troops as he was given the commander role in Iraq. So you can see this is a true soldier. And you will understand why he was given the role of Secretary of Defense. And then we are going to listen to his opening statements to confirm his role as Secretary of Defense so this is 2010 when he was General Lloyd J. Austin III and he was given commander role in the war in Iraq
1: Today marks the beginning of Operation New Dawn and our renewed commitment to an enduring strategic relationship with the Iraqi people Success will require a comprehensive and coherent approach by all the U.S. government entities, international organizations, and the Iraqi government. The result of that teamwork will be a stable, secure, and self reliant Iraq that benefits the entire region. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Vice President, Ambassador Jeffrey, Secretary Gates, distinguished guests, thank you all for being here today, and General Ordiano, at the outset, let me thank you for your invaluable service and your leadership. What a great job. It is my sincere honor to return to this great country to serve once more with my Iraqi friends, and to all the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, and civilians serving under United States Forces Iraq, it is indeed my honor and a distinct privilege to serve with you as we undertake the next phase of our effort in Iraq. The past few years in Iraq have been marked by steady progress, and in that time we have witnessed an improvement in the lives of the Iraqis as this country has become more stable, more secure, and more self-reliant. The development of the Iraqi Security Forces has indeed been significant, and I commend the Iraqi Security Forces for taking the lead and providing for Iraq's security. I also commend our American service members, our civilians, and the Department of State and other agencies for their contributions to this wonderful progress. Because of your service. The Iraqis have had the freedom to participate in two free and fair national elections. The incidents of violent attacks have steadily declined, and Iraq has begun constructive new relationships with its regional allies, which will offer stability and prosperity for the entire region. This is tremendous progress in a relatively short period of time, and it would not have been possible without a strong partnership between our two nations. And although challenges remain, we will face these challenges together. Iraq still faces a hostile enemy who is determined to hinder progress. Iraq's enemies will continue to seek opportunities to pursue their objectives. But make no mistake, our military forces here and those of the Iraqi nation remain committed to ensuring that our friends in Iraq succeed. And we will demonstrate our commitment through a continued partnership with the Iraqis. We will help the Iraqis develop their capability to provide for their own national defense by advising, assisting, training, and equipping the security forces. And we will support Iraqi troops in targeted counterterrorism operations. We will continue to work with the State Department Provincial Reconstruction Teams to assist local and provincial governments as they continue to improve services for the Iraqi people. And we will work with the Iraqi government to strengthen Iraqi institutions and the rule of law. We fully recognize that United States Forces Iraq is but one component of a whole-of-government effort. And as we press forward together, the U.S. mission will continue to transition to an increasing focus on civilian-led efforts, but our national commitment to Iraq will not change. And I look forward to working very closely with Ambassador Jeffrey, whom I hold in very high regard. And We will work together to ensure that this transition is carried out in a thorough and responsible manner. As you know, Ambassador Jeffrey has a distinguished career of service to our nation, and I cannot think of a better partner in this endeavor. And I know that we would not be where we are today without the distinguished service, the commitment, and the sacrifice of so many Americans and so many Iraqis. Distinguished warriors like former Iraqi Captain Furat and American Captain Ducote. Captain Furat served in the Iraqi Special Forces under Saddam Hussein. He later fought side-by-side with American soldiers against insurgents, where he became a close friend of an American officer, Captain Ducote. In 2005, Furat was paralyzed in a terrorist ambush when he was hit by small arms fire some 12 times. Terribly wounded, Furat's survival was far from certain. Captain Ducote helped Farad get medical care in the United States, and he refused to leave his comrade until he was cared for. The bond that they shared was formed through the hardship that they experienced together, and it could not be broken. And that is the type of bond, ladies and gentlemen, that we hope to have with Iraq for many, many years
0: to come. Now I'm going to stop his speech, and the reason why is because I wanted to point out, I'm not even going to, I actually recorded the whole speech, and there's an extra three minutes, but I wanted to stop it because when I initially recorded the speech, I didn't really realize until I heard it again now, how this exact speech can be told right now by the same person. And what I mean by that is, this was done in 2010 about the Iraq War. But if you pay attention to some of the things that the United States military was trying to get in order over there, that's what's happening in America in 2021. He mentioned fair elections, which we've had, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't believe that. He mentioned riot and unrest. If nothing else, January 6th covered that. I personally think that we go back to what happened in Michigan when they uh riot their capital to try to give their point and they had weapons. He mentioned insurgents. Um, look up the word insurgent. I mean an insurrection. Hmm, sound like that might be in the same family. I'm just saying, this is a man that gave a speech in Iraq for uh the troops to hear in 2010 and ironically coincidentally or just god putting things in place this is the man who is now in charge of the united states military he's the secretary of defense and a speech he gave in 2010 that same man can give right now to america And I thought it was very ironic that the same words are what's happening right now. And I wanted you guys to, one, hear those words. Two, to see how he's a real soldier, soldier. And three, to tie it into right now in 2021. Now, he, as we know, was confirmed as the Secretary of Defense. And the funny thing is, I... I really enjoy listening to his opening statement to the Congress Because that's what he had to do to make sure he's confirmed I want you all to hear uh, his opening statement for confirmation And then we're going to talk about what does the Secretary of Defense do And we're going to talk about how he said being the first black Pentagon chief Racism challenges is personal um, That's pretty interesting Because he's going to talk about racism in the military And this week uh, he had a virtual meeting with NATO Which is probably, as one of the countries said A breath of fresh air for the rest of the world And we're going to just talk a little bit about that So what I'm going to do right now is play his opening statement to the Congress to confirm him as our current Secretary of Defense. So this is Secretary of Defense Lloyd J. Austin Third's opening statement to Congress. I want to play General Lloyd Austin's full opening statement in his Senate confirmation hearing so you can hear in his own words how he's feeling about being in this historic position. Well, thank
1: you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Reed, members of this committee. I'm grateful for your time this afternoon, especially during these momentous days. It was apparent to me and to all Americans two weeks ago how seriously you take your duties to the Constitution. And I thank you for that commitment. I know that you share my gratitude for the commitment of the men and women of the Department of Defense as well, who share your devotion to that founding document our constitution. Many of them are serving overseas. Some of them are serving just outside this room. And all of them are keeping us safe. We owe much to their selflessness and to that of their families. I want to thank Senator Sullivan and Secretary Panetta for their kind words of introduction. I am, I am truly grateful. And of course, I want to thank my wonderful wife, Charlene, who, like today, has stood by my side for more than 40 years, guiding me, supporting me, and making me a better man. I'm also very grateful to President-elect Biden for asking me to serve my country again. I value the strength of my relationship with him, and I am humbled by the trust and confidence that he has placed in me. I hope this hearing will earn me your trust. Let me say at the outset that I understand and respect the reservations that some of you have expressed about having another recently retired general at the head of the Department of Defense. The safety and security of our democracy demands competent civilian control of our armed forces, the subordination of military power to the civil. I spent my entire life committed to that principle. In war and in peace, I implemented the policies of civilians elected and appointed over me, leaders like Secretary Panetta. And I know that being a member of the president's cabinet, a political appointee, requires a different perspective and unique duties from a career in uniform. I intend to to surround myself with and empower experienced, capable civilian leaders who will enable healthy civil-military relations grounded in meaningful oversight. Indeed, I plan to include the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy in top decision-making meetings, ensuring strategic and operational decisions are informed by policy. I will rebalance collaboration and coordination between the Joint Staff and the OSD staff to ensure civilian input is integrated at every level of the process. And I will make clear my expectation that the Pentagon work hand-in-glove with the State Department supporting the work of our diplomats. Now, I know that a large measure of civilian control of our military lies right here with this body. And if you confirm me, I assure you that the Pentagon, under my leadership, will respect your oversight responsibilities, and we will be transparent with you. And I will provide you my best counsel, and I will seek yours. And just like you, I will take seriously the many challenging, many challenges facing our country, the most immediate of which, in my view, is the pandemic. And if confirmed, I will quickly review the department's contributions to coronavirus relief efforts, ensuring that we're doing everything that we can to help distribute vaccines across the country and to vaccinate our troops and preserve readiness. We'll also do everything we can for our military families. They too are educating kids at home and losing their jobs and trying to stock the pantry. I know this committee shares my view that we owe them our best efforts to lighten that load. We also owe our people a working environment free of discrimination, hate, and harassment. And if confirmed, I will fight hard to stamp out sexual assault and to rid our ranks of racist and extremist. And to create a climate where everyone, fit and willing, has the opportunity to serve this country with dignity. The job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. For those enemies and adversaries outside the ranks and around the world, we need resources to match strategy, and strategy matched to policy, and policy matched to the will of the American people. Globally, I understand that Asia must be the focus of our effort. And I see China in particular as a pacing challenge for the department. And I know I'll need your help in, in tackling these problems and to give our men and women in uniform the tools that they need to fight and win. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, while I did not seek this job, I consider it an honor. And if confirmed, I will carry out the mission of the Department of Defense Always with the goal to deter war and ensure our nation's security. And I will up- uphold the principle of civilian control of the military as intended. And I would not be here asking for your support if I felt that I was unable or, or unable or unwilling to question people with whom I once served in operations that I once led or too afraid to speak my mind to you or to the president. I was a general and a soldier. And I'm proud of that. But today I appear before you as a citizen, the son of a postal worker and a homemaker from Thomasville, Georgia. And I'm proud of that too. And if you confirm me, I am prepared to serve now as a civilian, fully acknowledging the importance of this distinction. And I thank you again for consideration of my nomination and for your steadfast support of our men and women in uniform, our civilians and their families. And I look forward to Answering your questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Wow. I'm telling you, his statement made me proud because he addressed everything, not just from the military standpoint, but about the military families. I've heard throughout the years they weren't treated the way they should be. The military that's retiring. You know, you're hearing a lot of negativity about the Veterans Administration, and it sounds like him being a soldier for over 41 years, he understands all the things that still have to be addressed, including coronavirus and people putting food on their tables. So I thought it was important to play that, and you know, I I, I wanted to answer the basic question of what does the Secretary of Defense do, so I went to the government Secretary of Defense webpage uh, www.defense.gov And the main job of the United States Secretary of Defense Is to plan, develop, and execute policies That concern the military affairs And national security of the country Also, such an official Is responsible for the department's Resource management and physical And program eval- evaluation Now, remember, the safety of America is a priority. And I went through so many articles, AP News, political, you know, and I really, really was intrigued of some of the things he was saying. I heard him say some of the things on different news um, stations, but I wanted to go and find some research. So I want to just kind of read some things I, I read about what he said And this article is actually addressing racism and extremists in the military. And it says that uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, as we know, he is now the first black defense chief. And in the wake of the deadly insurrection at the US Capitol, where retired, see, this is troubling, retired and current military members were among the rioters touting far right conspiracies. So, you know, he has to address this now. And like I try to tell a lot of my friends, you have to remember a lot of the people that were part of the insurrection on January 6th on 2020, they have jobs. I mean, some of them were identified by co-workers. So you don't know who you work with until you see situations like this. Some of these people seem very nice and sweet when you heard when they got arrested and they were talking and they work with us. You know, it's not just... People that you, you know are feeling this way. Some people are undercover uh, conspiracies. Excuse me, conspiracy theory thinkers, and a lot of people, unfortunately, has gotten to where politics has affected their entire way of thinking. As I always mentioned to you guys, I'm independent. I mainly vote Democrat, but I have voted for Republicans and will in the future, I'm sure, depending on what their ideas and views are. Right now, the Republican Party is the Trump Party. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't agree with that. I definitely don't. Conspiracy theories, you know, some of them are so outrageous. It's just like crazy. But all these people aren't, you know, ignorant and illiterate. These are very educated and smart people. But as people always say on the news, it's kind of like a cult following type thing. And we have to be very careful because right now... I think that the second impeachment being um, an acquittal, this is just my opinion, I think it's going to give the extremists a little more boldness and power and feel it's kind of like a rubber stamp to kind of do what they want. So now he's challenged with this. And, it, you know, this article was saying the, the retired four-star Army General told senators this week that the Pentagon's job is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. Now, see, he's aware of that. And that's crucial because his job is to keep us safe. You know, he talks about racism issue being personal. And he explained why. He said in 1995, when then Lieutenant Colonel Austin, he was Lieutenant Colonel then, was serving with the 82nd Airborne division at Fort Braggs, North Carolina, three white soldiers described as self-styled Skinheads oh wow, were arrested in the murder of a black couple who was walking down the street. And this Inves- investigators concluded the two were targeted because of their race. Hmm. Wow. mm This is crazy. So, an article in AP was saying that he will now have to contend not only with a world of security threats and a massive military bureaucracy, but also with a challenge that hits closer to home, which is rooting out racism and extremism in the ranks in the military. Wow. This is so sad. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Well, reading the military of racists isn't his only priority. He, Austin, who was confirmed, he was confirmed, 93 to 2 vote. So that's pretty much unanimous, which is good. Has made clear that accelerating delivery of the coronavirus vaccine will get his early attention. See, that's what I'm talking about. He's trying to do whatever he can right off the bat to make sure we can get some of these people vaccinated. But I, like I said, he made it clear that the racism issue is very, very personal. <laughs> now, as he talked about the skinheads to kill this black couple for no reason, he said that the killing triggered an internal investigation and all told 22 soldiers. Oh, wow. 22 soldiers were linked to skinhead, and other similar groups were found to hold extremist views. They included 17 who were considered white supremacists and separatists. See, so this is in the military. And as he said, we saw a lot of them in uniform at, uh, during the resurrection. Um, I mean, excuse me, Lord, no, forgive me. During the insurrection And one of the people, if you remember, that got killed, she had just posted they were on their way to the insurrection and she was ex-military. So we saw that firsthand live as they were on their way to the Capitol. He's quoted as saying, We woke up one day and discovered that we had extremist elements in our ranks. Wow. And they did bad things that were certainly held Excuse me, that we certainly held them accountable for, but we discovered that the signs for that activity were there all along. We just didn't know what to look for or what to pay attention to. Mm. Racism has long been an undercurrent in the military. While leaders insist only a small minority hold extremist views, there have been persistent incidents of racial hatred. And more subtly, subtly, a history of implicit bias in what is a predominantly white institution. Now, how much you want to bet a lot of people that are extremists went to the military to learn how to kill? And I don't mean learn how to kill the enemy, learn how to come home and kill. Hmm. A recent Air Force Inspector General report found that black service members in the Air Force are far more likely to be investigated, arrested, face disciplinary actions, and be discharged for misconduct based on 2018 data. Roughly two-thirds of the military's enlisted corps is white and about 17% is black, but the minority percentage declines as rank increases. The U.S. population overall is about three-quarters white and 13% black, according to the Census Bureau statistics. So I'm hoping that whatever is about to come or whatever may go down that this Secretary of Defense is thinking it sounds like he's thinking ahead of the game to be prepared and we get a uh, protection in America and that's why I wanted to play his 2010 speech because the same things he talked about and we should be shame as a country the same things he talked about in Iraq are true right now fair elections unrest uh, extremism racism sex I mean all the things in his 2010 speech He can say right now in America, and it's true, and that's not a good thing. That's very sad, but I just wanted to thank him for willing to be willing to come back out of retirement to take this role, and this week on the 17th, actually on Wednesday, he had his first meeting with NATO, and... You know, it said he was pleased with the discussions held as part of the virtual NATO defense ministerial uh, meeting he had. So, you know, there's a lot of things they were saying that he discussed, but it was so interesting to hear how everybody was saying the mood among NATO allies was lovey-dovey after he attended his first meeting of allied defense ministers. On Wednesday, you know, it's really kind of sad that it's back to lovey-dovey and it should have never left lovey-dovey. <clears throat> Excuse me. It said that the uh, retired four-star U.S. Army General, who is now Secretary of State, weighed in during each of the two virtual gatherings of the North Atlantic Council and, according to diplomats and officials, played all the right mood music by expressing a willingness to consult and full-throttle commitment to NATO's principle of collective defense. Under other circumstances, that might seem as ho-hum as a date night during the pandemic But after four years of being badgered and berated by U.S. President Donald Trump, suddenly Washington sounded like a friend again and that in itself felt refreshing and remarkable, participants said in the meeting. So, listen to, these are other countries, keep that in mind. Now, check out this statement, Evening Falls over hashtag NATO Headquarters tweeted Belgium's NATO Ambassador Pascal Heeman, along with the picture of the giant glass headquarter building glittering just after sunset. Successful first day of the Defense Ministries, excuse me, the Defense Minister's Council concluded. Highlight was a strong at Secretary of Defense statement to turn a new page, revitalize alliances, and the reaffirmation of the ironclad Art 5 guarantee, he added. Referring to Article 5, the treaty provision that proclaims an attack on one NATO ally to be an attack on all. And to be honest with you, we need that. I mean, we can't just be America only. Because right now, things are happening all over the world. And America was supposed to be the the symbol of greatness. And we're supposed to be the leaders. And as you're hearing, people from different countries are speaking out and they're talking about how it just feels so much better. But I want to finish reading this article because it's interesting. These are what people from the NATO meeting are talking about. Many allies had said the worst part of dealing with the Trump administration was the sheer unpredictability of it and the constant fear of uh, unilateral decisions that could turn the world upside down. The Pentagon provided its own readout of... Secretary of Defense Austin's remarks which made clear those days and those fears are over now that United States President Joe Biden is in charge. Quote, the Secretary reaffirmed the President's message that the United States intends to revitalize our relationship with the NATO alliance and that our commitment to Article 5 remains ironclad. The Pentagon statement, Secretary Austin referred to NATO as the bedrock of enduring transatlantic security and said the alliance serves as the bulk work of our shared values of democracy, individual liberty, and the rule of law. Wow. Now, his remarks fall in in an op-ed published in the Washington Post on Wednesday in which he made similar points. Quoted as saying, we are ready to to consult together, decide together, and act together. Wow. In contrast to Trump's repeated bashing of allies over defense spending and his repeated boasts of forcing them to pay up, Austin offered a message of thanks and urged them to keep up the good work, noting that a commitment to aim for spending 2% of GDP was made jointly at a NATO leader summit in Wales in 2014 when Barack Obama was president. He emphasized that contributions are also measured by how they are used not just by their size. So, Secretary of Defense uh, Austin I just want to celebrate you in honor of Black History Month and in honor of your first Position as the first African American Secretary of Defense. We are proud of you, and this is Black History, and we just salute you. So, bravo. Okay, everybody. I'ma end this episode, and I just want to during Black History Month just bring new Black History about for the younger generation. A lot of people don't know what people are doing in their roles as first. They just know they're the first African American. And I wanted to bring this gentleman right on up because he is a fantastic, uh, fella. And for Fantastic Fellow Friday, I figured why not talk about the person who's going to keep us safe here in America? And let you hear his military background so you can see that he's earned the position. He's not just getting it because he's black. So I need people to, you know, I had somebody say, well, Biden's just giving all black people jobs because they're black. No, he's not. Anyone that's African-American that's getting a job in the Biden administration, they have the credentials and they've earned it. So I need to say that. So, uh, I'm going to close out this episode and ask you guys to follow us on Twitter at advocacy ladies. That's capital A is in advocacy, capital L is in ladies. And if you have any questions, give us a call at 404-855-7723. And you know, you can always send us an email at podcast host shape at one nine at gmail.com. That's all small letters. And you can definitely follow us on any of the podcast apps, including Apple, iTunes, Google play, Pandora, Spotify, and Alexa tune in. And you definitely can follow us on my hosting Podbean. uh, at give us a notification where you can know that all the episodes are posted on Monday Wednesdays and Fridays and you will be one of the first to get it as soon as it's published so I always say how much I appreciate the listeners tell your friends and once this pandemic's over I like to get out in the streets because we still have to hold people accountable every day companies politicians Uh, Media, whoever, whoever's doing something that is not right, we need to call them out because unfortunately, and let me just say this as an African-American, I'm just going to point this out there. You know, we have been treated like second class and sometimes no class citizens, even though we have trillions of dollars in spending power. You know, that's been coming up more and more, especially since black history months out there. We are supposedly the number one race in spending power, yet we're treated like we are nothing. So we have to start using our spending power to make a difference. And I'm hoping I can do that with the podcast and with the organization I haven't even gotten a chance to even get into the organization because um, COVID has just kind of kept me in. And I do work full time, but I want to use the podcast and the airwaves and social media to just get that out there. We need to be the bridge for accountability. So I'm always looking forward to anyone that want to be a par- part of the organization to or reach out. And I'm going to continue to do the best I can to get the information out there. So, you know, I like to end all my episodes with the question, what do you have to say? Have a great, safe weekend. Wear your mask, please, and follow us. And as I always say, thank you for listening.